Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Acts chapter 12, so you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. So let's read Acts 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man! Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms 
and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And now it's over to the children's talk. Okay, hello everyone. Can you remember what we've been doing in our kids' talks? What have we been learning about? Can you remember? We've been learning from the book of Acts. And Acts teaches us the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Oh, God, you're all a little bit quiet today. I don't know what's going on. Parents must be loving it. But it makes it a little bit hard for someone doing a kid's talk when you're all so quiet. Goodness me. Now, who is this guy? Hannah. This is Rupert. Exactly right. Rupert, we've been following Rupert's story a little bit. And Rupert, he's in prep. He's just... He's in his first year at school. He's in prep. And one day, he was playing basketball against Ralph. And Ralph, look at Ralph. Is Ralph a whole lot bigger? Yeah. Yes. That's because Ralph is in grade six. Rupert is in prep. Ralph is in grade six. That's a big difference. And they were playing basketball together. Who do you think was going to win? Who would win? Rupert or Ralph? You think Ralph? You think Ralph? Yes, okay. Oh, I don't know who Rudolph is. We've got Rupert here. But do you know, Ralph decided that he wasn't going to stop Rupert getting every single goal. He decided that he would be nice, that he would let the little preppy get a few goals. And so Rupert, he'd go over, he'd bounce the ball, bounce the ball, he'd shoot, and the, the ball would go into the basket, and he'd get a goal. And Ralph would say, well done, Rupert. That was a good shot. And then Ralph would get the ball, and he'd shoot, and it would go in the basket, and he'd get a goal. And then Rupert, he was bouncing the ball, and Ralph, because he wanted to say, listen, you're a preppy, and I'm a grade sixer, and you need to know your place a bit, he'd take the ball, which is what you're allowed to do in basketball. He'd take the ball, and he'd shoot, and he'd get a goal. And so Rupert, he got some goals, but only because Ralph let him. Do you think that was nice of Ralph? Yeah, very nice. Yeah, that's right. Very, very nice of Ralph. Now, in our Bible story, we heard a little something like that. Jesus is a lot like Ralph. Jesus, if he wanted to, could just not let anyone get any goals. He, Ralph could have stopped Rupert getting all the goals. Jesus could stop anyone who doesn't like him doing anything against him. Jesus could just win and no one who 
uh, hates Jesus could do anything right. But in our story, Jesus let Herod, King Herod, who doesn't like Jesus at all, Jesus let King Herod do some pretty bad things. Not because Herod was really big and strong. Herod, compared to Jesus, was like a preppy to a grade six. But Jesus let him get away with some things because Jesus wanted to say, you have no power except what I give you. So Rupert, he felt pretty good about himself getting some goals. But we know that he only got those goals because Ralph let him. Now, something interesting happens to Herod. I wonder if you heard it. Herod thought he was amazing. He thought he was as big as a god. Do you know what Jesus did? Did you hear what Jesus did? Jesus punished Herod. Jesus had Herod put to death in a pretty gross way. But Herod was standing against Jesus. And do you remember the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped? Jesus wins all the time. Like Ralph won his basketball game, Jesus wins against Herod and he wins against anyone today who doesn't like him. Sometimes it looks like they might be winning. Sometimes it looks like they're getting some goals. But Jesus is always the bigger and the better king. Okay, So we can trust him, can't we? Even when things seem to be going badly, we can remember how big Jesus is and how small the people who are against him are. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped, that Jesus always wins, that even when it looks like things are going bad, even when it looks like goals are being scored against him, that Jesus is still in control. So help us to trust in him and to remember that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's pray as we come to this part of God's word. Our God in heaven, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It shows us the truth. It shows us what is good and right. And so we pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts even now, showing us more of who Jesus is. Give us a greater love for him, an appreciation of who he is, a desire to live for him, knowing that he is king of all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1455 to 1487, there were civil wars in England over the throne. This came to be known as the War of the Roses because it was fought between the House of York, whose symbol was the White Rose, and the House of Lancaster whose symbol was the red rose. Now, I studied it a little bit a few years ago, and this week I was reading about its beginnings again, and it is a fascinating and very confusing story, lots of names and places that you need to keep in your head, and which house does this person belong to? 
It's very hard. But there was this weak king, Henry VI, from the House of Lancaster. He was kidnapped by Richard of York in a battle. They struck a deal. But then later on, four years later, he was captured again. Henry VI was captured again in in another battle. And, And eventually, with all of these battles, the last male in the House of Lancaster was killed. And back then, it was all through the male line, you'll remember. But there was a marriage between one house and another, making an alliance, which meant that now the house of Tudor reigned. Maybe you've heard of the the Tudors. Now, I'm sure there there might be some here who would be able to explain the War of the Roses in, in a lot more detail, better detail than I can, and I would be fascinated to hear it. I'd ask you a few questions, I think. But historically, it is fairly common for a king to be challenged. We find it amazing because we're used to a sense of political stability. Even as we had a high rate of turnovers with our prime ministers a few years ago, there were no blood-filled wars, there were no coups. Nothing like Niger with its army coming in to remove their president. In Acts 12, we see the war of the kings. One king is full of bluster and people-pleasing, eager to, to stop the advance of his rival. But the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Despite how things might look, Acts 12 tells us that Jesus is the one king to rule them all. While Herod vainly flexes his power, Jesus shows that he is the one king to rule them all. So Herod flexes his muscles in verses 1 to 5, our first heading, when the nations rage. In verse 1, we're introduced to Herod the king. But which Herod is he? You might not realise that there were four different Herods over the years of the New Testament. This Herod is Herod Agrippa I. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who renovated the temple in Jerusalem to try to make uh, the Jews like him. And it was Herod the Great who tried to have Jesus killed as a baby. Now, Our Herod in Acts 12 was also the nephew to Herod Antipas, who was around during the ministry of Jesus. And later on in Acts, we come across someone called King Agrippa, who is actually King Herod Agrippa II, the son of our Herod. These are all names well known in history. They are real people in real places. Remember, Luke, who wrote this book, has claimed that he is writing an orderly account. He has researched, he has interviewed, making sure to get the story right from the eyewitnesses. This is real history. It's not make-believe. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now let's take a moment 
to stop and realize how shocking this is. Not just because it happened, but because of how little is said about it. This is James the Apostle. He was one of Jesus' inner circle, one of the three who saw him transfigured on the mountain, shining like the sun. He was one of the three who was there in the room with him while he raised the little girl to life. This is huge. How could Jesus let this happen? And more, it just passes by with barely a word. Stephen got more airtime than James does. And then verse 3, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. Can you imagine how Peter and the church would have been feeling? James is gone, killed. Jesus hadn't rescued him. And so what's going to happen to Peter? Herod decides to make this a show of strength. Peter's put in prison with four squads to guard him. And this story, it's told again and again. A week and a half ago, two church ministers in Nigeria were kidnapped by gunmen. It keeps happening. Nigerian Christians keep suffering from the attacks of these terrorists and the church there and here keep praying for for peace, for their persecutors, for the safety of those kidnapped, just like the church in Jerusalem was praying for Peter. Verse 5. Herod was puffing out his chest, raging against Jesus and his church. And Peter knows that he can't presume that Jesus will rescue him from Herod's hands. James wasn't. And when the world comes against us, because we bow down to Jesus instead of to their idols, we can't presume that we'll get out of it without a scratch. When we're fired from our jobs because of our faith, we we can't assume that we will win the court case for discrimination. We won't always be vindicated in the eyes of the world after being bad-mouthed by people closest to us. The nations rage against Jesus. Our neighbours rage. Our family, our politicians, they hate hearing that there is another king. They hate hearing that Jesus is the one king to rule them all. But even as they rage, the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Which brings us to our second heading in verses 6 to 19. Unexpected rescue. It's unexpected, but there are hints to us, the reader, that Jesus would do something. Luke added that detail up in verse 3, that Peter was arrested during the days of unleavened bread. That was the festival immediately after the Passover. This is happening around the same time as Jesus' death and resurrection, the time of his seeming defeat, but his greatest triumph. And that was the anniversary to another victory, salvation from the cruel king of Egypt. Now, whether those things are in Peter's mind as he sleeps or not, not really sure, but, but Peter isn't stressing about Herod's raging. He trusts Jesus. He knows Jesus is the one king to rule them all. 
He rules over Herod, over Caesar. And so Peter sleeps. And while he sleeps, bound with chains between two soldiers, with sentries at the door, verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Most days, we, Beck and or I, we, we wake Felicity up from her afternoon sleep. Otherwise, she's going to be too tired at night. Or, no, sorry, she'll, she won't be tired enough at night and she won't go to sleep until it's way too late. And so we walk in gently, softly to her room, wanting to be gentle, we'll lightly touch her on the, on the arm, touch her cheek, because we don't want her to be shocked awake. We don't want her grumpy because of how she was woken up. The angel doesn't come into Peter's cell like a kindly parent. He struck Peter. Did you notice that? I would love to know how hard. It's the same word that Stephen used back in chapter 7 when telling the story of Moses killing the Egyptian. The angel certainly wasn't tiptoeing into the room. God's keeping these trained soldiers asleep. They don't wake up to the, the bright light of the angel reflecting God's glory. They don't wake to the clanging of the chains falling from Peter's wrists or as he gets dressed and then walks away. And Peter, understandably, I think, thinks that this is a dream. It's a vision, verse 9. But once the angel goes and he's outside, he's feeling the cold air on his face, he realises that he, he's been rescued from the wicked king Herod, like Israel had been rescued from Egypt all those years before. So off he goes to the house where he knows people are praying and Rhoda is so excited to hear his voice that she leaves him outside to run and tell the other people. But no one believes her. When she insists that it's him, verse 15, they kept saying it is his angel. Now we shouldn't make too much of that. Some people think, think that this verse teaches us, it means that we each have our own guardian angel. But we need to be careful. This is the only place in the Bible where that sort of idea is even hinted at, at, as far as I'm aware, and we can't build a theology on top of that. They have an idea of what is going on, but how do we know that that idea is right and not just a superstition that they have? This church was praying, and God had answered their prayers, but it was so beyond their expectations that they didn't believe it until they saw Peter standing right in front of them. That's an easy thing to do. We might pray knowing Jesus could do something, but not really believing he will. Isn't it good to know that it's not the strength of our faith which decides whether our prayers get answered? That's what some Christians have been taught. They've been taught that if you have any doubt whatsoever when you pray, that your prayers won't get answered. You won't get healed. You won't get whatever it is that you're asking for. Remember who you are praying to. 
Jesus is the one king to rule them all. In this unexpected rescue, he shows his power and he shows his grace by answering prayers that the church knows he's powerful enough to do, powerful enough to answer, but they don't really believe he will. Pray big prayers because you have a big king. There's no guarantee that he will give you what you want, but we have seen an unexpected rescue. He saved Peter. Jesus is the one king to rule them all, but he's not just an aloof king. He's a friend who cares for us. He wants the best for us. And so pray and trust him, knowing that he could give you what you're asking. And even if he doesn't, he is doing it for your good. After Peter escapes Jerusalem and Herod executes the guards, the scene shifts. In verses 20 to 25, our third heading, we see the king on his throne. We're transported away from Herod persecuting the church and we're brought into the world of first century diplomacy. And again, this isn't a world of made-up names and places. This is real history. Josephus was a first century Jewish historian working for the Romans. And he wrote about this very event. You can buy the works of Josephus today. We actually have them here in this church. We have the collected works which you could look at and where you could find where he actually talks about this event. Some people dismiss the Bible as a, as a fairy tale, but Luke and the other writers talk about their world with accuracy at a time where there was no Google, no encyclopedia, no atlases. For the New Testament writers to speak accurately about places, currencies, title of rulers, monuments and more, they need to have either been there themselves or spoken to people who had been. This information isn't easy to get in the first century world. And the New Testament has been proven accurate time and again. So when someone asks, or someone tells you that there's all make-believe, ask them why they think that. Explain that the Bible is trustworthy when it describes the first century world. When it comes to earthly things, it is incredibly accurate. There's tension, verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. Now we're not told any more details. We're not told why Herod was angry with them. But you can imagine the real-world fear and desperation of these cities. Herod was not the kind of man that you wanted on your bad side, especially when you depended on him for something as basic as food. They're desperate. And so they're desperate to heal the rift. They can see the disaster coming. They're like beachgoers watching a tidal wave approach. They know that there's nothing that they can do to save themselves. We saw the footage of 
that tidal wave on Boxing Day 2004 in Indonesia, over 230,000 lives lost, towns wiped out. It was unstoppable. Herod is like an unstoppable tidal wave. All the people of Tyre and Sidon can do is try to convince him not to crash down on them. They try to butter him up. Verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Now, Josephus has said, he said in his, uh, in his antiquities, that this was an event honouring the emperor. He describes Herod's robes, his royal robes, as being of silver, glittering in the full sun. You can imagine the effect This man who has the power of life and death over them is shining in the sun. You can understand why they would shout, the voice of a god, not a man. In his pride, Herod doesn't deny it and Jesus strikes him down. Josephus says that it took five days for him to die. These theories about exactly what it was that killed him, but they don't matter. What matters is that while Herod thought that he was the unstoppable king, he has completely misjudged the situation. He might try to stop Jesus, but the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Jesus is the king on his throne. Jesus is the one king to rule them all. And with the removal of Herod, his mission continues. Verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. And as this section of Acts finishes and a new one prepares to begin with the missionary journeys of Saul and Barnabas, they return to Antioch in verse 25. Jesus is the one king to rule them all. Not even Herod could stop him. Which leaves us a question in our fourth heading. What does it mean to live with Jesus as our king? First, if you're not a Christian, it means accepting that this is true. We can't pretend that this is a fairy tale. It lines up too well with verifiable history. It deserves your attention. It deserves more than unthoughtful dismissal Because it's inconvenient, or it's old, or it's difficult. If Jesus really is king, you need to be rescued from his judgment. And you can't do that. You can't escape his judgment by being a nice person. You'll never be good enough. I'm not. Every day I I fail his expectations. My only hope, your only hope, is his cross. That is the word of God which increased and multiplied. It's the message of Jesus crucified for sinners. We deserve death for our rejection of him. Just like Herod. We have all pretended to be kings and queens of our own lives instead of submitting to the one true king. But Jesus offers us life. He died to give us life. To take the punishment for us, from us. 
and give us the rewards for his goodness. So come to him. Confess your sin. Be forgiven and live for the king who deserves your love. And for us Christians, we need to remember that Jesus is the one king to rule them all. It is easy to forget that. It's easy to pray without expecting Jesus to act or secretly thinking that he's not really powerful enough for our needs. We look at the situation in Nigeria and it feels hopeless. Christians keep getting murdered, kidnapped, ransomed by terrorists. In North Korea, it's the government who are the bad guys, arresting, torturing, murdering. We pray and we pray and and nothing seems to happen. Is Jesus really on his throne? One day, something will happen. Jesus will act. Either there'll be repentance or those evil men will face the true king on his throne. They've claimed to be king, but they will fall on their knees and confess that Jesus is the one true king to rule them all. Maybe it will be what's called a natural death. But they will face Jesus. They will face his judgment. Christians sometimes squirm when we talk about judgment. It doesn't feel right. But Jesus is the one king to rule them all and Everyone who rejects him, who who oppresses his people, who stands in pride against him, will be humbled. That's not something that we gloat over, but it is something that we can be comforted by. Our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and in North Korea, they will be vindicated. Their oppressors will see them for who they are. They will confess that Jesus has loved them. Those who mock us and hate us for trusting in Jesus will one day see the truth. We will be raised to glory while they suffer for their hatred of Jesus and his church, their unwillingness to accept the gift of grace that he gives through his cross. And Jesus will be glorified. Everyone will see that he is the one king to rule rule them all. And so let's pray. Let's pray remembering that he does reign. He is on his throne. His gospel, the word of God, is increasing. Let's pray that he would reign by saving our our family, our friends, our neighbours, that he would bring justice to his suffering people, that we would be in awe that the one king to rule them all died a humiliating death for sinners like us, who deserved exactly what Herod got and more. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a Herod like me. Let's pray. Our God, we do rejoice and are in awe at the grace that you have shown us. We know that we deserve judgment just as Herod experienced judgment. But we are so thankful that Jesus has taken that for us, that he is our king, 
And then our king died for us, representing us as the great sacrifice, our substitute. Lord, words fail to describe how incredible this reality is. And so we pray that we would live our lives remembering that Jesus is the risen king, that he reigns over this world, that even when the world seems out of control, even when people rebel against him, even when they seem unstoppable, remind us that Jesus is the one who truly is on his throne, that he is not challenged by anyone. We ask that you would save many. We ask that they would be saved through the ministry of this church and also the churches around us. Our God, extend your kingdom into the lives of many people, we pray. We ask that we would see it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.